Alright, let's go to Luke chapter 11 and kick off our series on the Holy Spirit. Uh, I am so excited about this. Um, one thing you get to do when you take some time off is really focus um, and, and study in, in different directions. And um, this is a, a topic that just came to me really as I was listening to a preaching series in Colorado at a youth conference we were at. Um, and I have been wanting to do something on the Holy Spirit. I feel like it's a forgotten doctrine in the church or it's an abused doctrine in the church, depending on what kind of church you've gone to in the past, and so we really want to see what the Bible's teaching is on the Holy Spirit. Um, it's kind of an odd, I don't know any um, uh, series on the Holy Spirit that has started with Luke chapter 11, um, but that's where we're starting this morning. I think it'll be obvious once we especially get to the end. Uh, so let's look at verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And he said to him, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Now, notice Jesus goes on. Suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. And Jesus said, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread, because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Now which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pray this morning that You would give us Your Holy Spirit. We are dependent creatures because You have made us that way. You have made us for Yourself. (laughs) You have made us to feed off of Your acceptance and Your love and Your delight and Your goodness and Your mercy and Your faithfulness and Your presence and Your kindness. And yet, O God, because of our hearts, because of our fears, because of our failures, because of our our suspicions that we really couldn't be that son or daughter that that you would respond to, Uh, we'd rather have bread. We'd rather have you pay a bill. Uh, We'd rather you heal us from what ails us. We'd rather you do anything. And yet, God, I pray this morning that you would show us how vast your goodness and your mercy and your love is for your people that you are dying to give us your Spirit, that we might live not as men and women, but as children possessed by the living God. Oh, Father, we need you this morning. 
God, our, our greatest need is not to hear some well-thought-out, well-put-together sermon, but we need Your Spirit to come and to make sense of Your Word in our hearts, not because it is deficient or defective, but because our hearts are deficient and defective because our flesh is so powerful. So come do battle in us, O God, by Your Spirit. Drive Your Word deep into our hearts. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Convict us of sin, O God. Level us. And yet, O God, I pray that You would just lift our eyes to the cross, that we would see Your love, that we would see Your smile, that we would hear Your voice. With You, I am well pleased, O Son and daughter of God. Would You come and lavish Your love upon us, Father? For we need that. For we were made for that. O God, stir us up for the glory of Your Son and the good of Your people. And we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Your greatest need at any given moment of any given day, my greatest need at any given moment of any given day is the Holy Spirit. There's my introduction. (laughs) What I want to do now is tell you what this whole series is about. And the first thing that I want us to see from this text is this. Jesus is calling us to live dependent upon His Spirit. If you want to know what God is up to in your life right now, if it's a mystery to you right now, I want to solve it for you. His entire redemptive work, the work that He is seeking to accomplish in your life right now is to get you to live believing that you need His Spirit. To live believing that you are a dependent human being created in His image to live in humble reliance upon Him every minute, every second of every day. That's what He's up to in your life right now. I see this throughout my life. I was planning a church in Fort Collins, Colorado, and we were about three years into it. Uh, The church was going well. The plant was going well. We went there knowing no one. And by that time, and in Colorado, this is a big deal, we saw about 80 to 100 people. Most of those people had not been going to church before. Some of those people did not even know who Jesus was before. We were excited about the work, but folks, we were dangerously out of money. I had hired an assistant pastor who um, caught the vision and moved from Collierville with his wife and, and their son, their firstborn son, to Fort Collins. And I was looking at the checking account, and we had been praying as a staff and a church, and we'd been crying out to God, but the, the, the funds were dwindling. And everything in me thought, God, I know you're faithful, but our checking account doesn't show it right now. I need you to show up. And I could take you this moment to the coffee shop I was in, to the chair I was sitting in, when I sent out a support email, which I thought could be my parting shot for this work, that this is how it was all going to end. And I said, I was just honest with our supporters. I said, guys, we're desperate. Our funds are dwindling. We're not going to be able to pay the staff in the coming weeks, and we need you. 
And I said, I am boldly asking for $100,000. I sent that email and just sat there. I can't remember if I was praying or just crying. I don't know what I was doing. But I'll never forget, I got an email almost immediately back. And it was from a distant relative who had commu- hadn't communicated with me at all in several years, and yet he'd been receiving my emails, didn't even know he was getting them. He said, can you talk? I said, well, I don't have anything else to do, so absolutely. He said, Richard, when I called him, he said, Richard, I was sitting here looking at the financials at our company, and I just this morning landed a job, a construction job, and my cut, my profit's going to be $100,000, and I don't think that's a mistake, that I got your email and I got this financial report in within seconds of each other, and I feel like God is telling me to give you $100,000. Dear friends, God loves our dependence. God meets us in our moments of desperation. A few years later, we moved here to Memphis and um, we loved what was going on, what God was doing in Colorado. We moved here in Memphis and the first two years were from the pit of hell and I know that's not true. I know that God had everything to do with it, but man, it sure felt like hell. Uh, I had a surgery, Rachel had a surgery, one of our daughters was in a, a, a bad car wreck, our house burned, I was audited by the IRS, you name it, it about happened over those two years. The church plant was looking pretty bleak. I was trying to convince somebody to come work with me, somebody that believed, that could see this vision that I felt God had called me to. And in those first two years, there weren't a whole lot of people listening, and there was more sympathy than empathy. This past Sunday, we had a picnic on the Mississippi River. And I don't know, there were 80 to 100 of us out there. And I had this kind of out-of-body experience Sunday. Um, at many social events or fellowship events that we do, you know, I mean, I'm out working, Chris is working, you know, the core, we're trying to make sure nobody's left out. But really, for the first time, I just stood there and looked around, and people were having more fun than I could ever create or Chris could ever create. Conversations were happening. Uh, volleyball game broke out. Honey was going hard at the volleyball net. I've never seen anything like it. I know that guy could play volleyball, but I don't think he can, but he sure thinks he can. Uh, unbelievable. And all I could think was, God, thank you. <laughs> you heard those desperate prayers. You met us in those bleak times when there were just a handful of us believing and yet going home and wondering, is this thing, is God really going to do this? I sit here this morning and I listen to the prayers and I see this body and I think about people that said it couldn't be done in Memphis, Tennessee. I look at, folks, I don't know if you even saw this, but look on the front of your bulletin, the financial update. didn't even see this till this morning. Our budget for the year is four fifty. Our June offering was twenty seven thousand. Halfway through the year we're at one hundred and ninety one thousand. We are very close to halfway there. That's crazy. <laughs> I mean, even those that thought, okay, you can have a little church downtown that's gospel driven, multi ethnic, multi class, but you'll never be financially apart from from support. Do you understand we are on target to be there by the end of this year? <laughs> now don't stop giving. 
<laughs> but start giving thanks to God. Is that not unbelievable? See, God is a God that meets us in our desperation. I think back over my life to two 18-year-old kids in love. I think about uh, the dreams they had and uh, finding out that uh, the girl in the relationship was pregnant and wondering what in the world are we going to do. Don't have a job, don't have a college education. Everybody says well, you know, either we should give the baby up for adoption or have an abortion. We get married and I look back 30 years later and I see three girls that I wish I could take credit for <laughs> walking with Jesus. During the uh, picnic last week, I got a text message from Amy, who's here this morning. So I told you I'd work you in the sermon. Uh, Amy Catherine, excuse me. She's not Amy. And she said, Dad, for the last two hours I've been listening to Chris's sermons. He's amazing, bringing the gospel to me. And then I got another one back. I showed Chris that, and it, it humbled him. And then I, I didn't show him this one, but she sent another one back. She said, you better not lose him. <laughs> I said, all right, honey. All right, honey. Three daughters walking with Jesus. Two son-in-laws walking with Jesus. Two grandchildren. I think about those hard days, those tough times, financially or otherwise. All the car wrecks and... All the health scares and all the just days we didn't know how we were going to get by. I think of the Wednesday night dollar Happy Meal special at McDonald's when, man, that was we looked forward to that. I, I just went crazy. I would buy three for myself. I'd throw down three dollars, man, and I just you know that would I'd feel like I was king of whatever, you know. And I look back on that, and I see what God has done. And I say, isn't God good to meet us in our desperation? <laughs> I was at a youth retreat a couple of weeks ago in Colorado. And I was directing this retreat for about 400 teenagers. And we were having a, a prayer time for the leaders. And I just had this, this another, another experience where God just kind of said, stand back and look at my goodness. Because I remember 35 years ago when I was at a retreat just like that, and I had, I mean, Jesus was the furthest thing on my mind. Uh, girls drinking everything else was the only thing on my mind. And yet, I was on God's mind. And at a retreat like that, He saved me. He took my heart and He gave me a desire for something different, namely Himself. And I look back over those 35 years and I ask myself, what would life have been like? If he had not moved, I can't imagine. I mean, all the, I can't imagine my life without Christ over the last 35 years. What it would have been. I mean, we've tasted loneliness, we've tasted struggles, we've tasted hardship, and yet I had a God to cry out to at night. I had a God to bow down before in the morning, and He shows up by His Spirit, and He moves. If there's an image that I have in my mind for my life, it's Moses leading the people of God out of Egypt and getting to the Red Sea. 
I don't have the image of necessarily the time when he's holding up the, the rod and the waters are parting. I just think about Moses had led the people to the Red Sea and Pharaoh and his army is coming hot after them. Do you want to know what the Christian life is like? That's it. Here's the problem in the church today, in America at least. We think Christianity is the parting of the Red Sea. But I'm telling you, most of the time, the Christian life is standing before the Red Sea with impending death behind you, and you going, oh buddy, maybe I heard God wrong. You see, Paul said in in Romans 1, it is by faith that we live this Christian life. It is Righteousness comes through faith from first to last. The Christian life, every single moment of it is a life of faith. It's not a life of sight. It's believing a future promise and a presence of God now. But I'm telling you, God does lead us by quiet waters, but it's in the valley of the shadow of death. He does lead us to green pastures, but buddy, there are, there are lions and tigers all around <laughs> wanting to eat you. Do you understand that? There is never a moment in your life, including right now, right here, that you don't need the Spirit of God. Because if God were to remove His favor, if He were to back off of you just a tiny bit, you'd be done. You see, being a Christian is learning to be a man or woman who recognizes their desperate condition and their desperate circumstances and knows how, instead of turning either to irreligion, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, or religion, church service, doing good for the poor, being a leader, keeping my nose clean, we can't run to either one. We can only run to God. That's the Christian life. You see, God leads us to the point where we are willing to live dependently out of desperation upon Him. And I want you to know that modern people hate that. The biggest sin, especially in the middle to upper class church, is desperation. I mean, just look at our prayer list. Aunt Betty's toe, ingrown toenail. I mean, look at people's reaction when somebody cries out to God in the midst of our worship. Look how uncomfortable we are when someone actually expresses their need for God to show up. Do you understand that that is what, if you don't understand crying out to God, and no, it doesn't have to be audibly, but if you don't understand that then you need to ask yourself this morning, am I a believer in Jesus Christ? Because God has given us His Spirit, and the Spirit, so says Jesus, is the paraclete. And that means that the Holy Spirit is the one who hears the cry. Do you want to have God in your life? Then cry out to Him. And if you're not crying out to Him, then you're not going to know God. Because God only comes to the desperate and the dependent. Do you want to know why God seems so distant to you? It's because you have control over your life. You're not living by faith. You're not listening to God in His Word. You're not walking by faith. 
You are walking according to your five and ten year plan. Throw your five and ten year plan out the window and say, God, what do you want me to do? Because He will take you places. He will take you to the sea where you are scared to death and you're going to feel like the biggest fool on the planet. You want to know how I know that? Because I'm there. Man, I wish He had called me just to... No, that doesn't sound, I'm just not even going to say that. I just set that up so bad. It makes me... Jesus says, you want to know how to pray? Let me tell you how to pray. Father, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. You want to know what to pray for? There you have it. Give me glory. Pray for me to provide for all your needs. Ask that I forgive your sins, but you better be forgiving other people in the process. And then ask that I'll keep you from temptation. That's what to pray for. Now, you want to know how to pray? Let me tell you a story, Jesus says. Let me tell you a story about a man who has a desperate need for some bread. Because he's got somebody coming to his house and he doesn't want to look bad. And so he goes to a guy who is in, who is, who, whose whole household is asleep. Now, moms of little children, you understand this. Do you want to know the greatest sin in the culture? Waking up a sleeping baby. Moms, am I right? Don't you dare wake up my baby. I mean, a mom, if, if you, I'm convinced sometimes, if you come to a mom who's been working, you know, weeks, that baby's asleep, and you say, million dollars or an hour more sleep. That mom's going to say, give me an hour of sleep. I mean, just give me peace. Jesus said, this guy went, he had no regard for the sleeping babies. And he banged on that door, and because he did, the man gave him some bread. And Jesus said this, treat God like that. You want to know how to pray? You pray out of desperation. You beat on God's door and you say, I don't care if you're asleep. I don't care what you're doing. I do know you're busy. I do know you're important, but I'm going to die if you don't show up. That's how you pray. He didn't give him a book of common prayer. He gave him one little short prayer. He said, it's great. I mean, pray for these things. But it's not what you pray, it's how you pray. And you better go to God depending on Him with all that you are. The thing that drives me crazy about the health and wealth prosperity message in the church today is not the fact that God doesn't give us money and God doesn't give us bread and God doesn't give us clothes and God doesn't pay our bills. Every bill I've ever paid, God's paid it for me. I mean, if He didn't provide for me, I'd have nothing to pay. Every piece of bread, every fish, every filet mignon, everything I've ever eaten, God gave it to me. But if that's the greatest thing God can do, He ain't God. 
And that's why Jesus said, look, if you're going to go to God, if you're going to go to the living God, then don't just ask for bread. Ask for Him. (laughs) Ask for the Holy Spirit and He'll give Him to you. Dear friends, are you desperate for the Holy Spirit today in your work, in your parenting, in your marriage, in in the mission of, of, of God, of just loving your neighbor? Are you desperate for the Holy Spirit? The answer is yes, but do you know it? See, it's not that something's wrong if you're desperate for the Holy Spirit. I've just, it's so funny when, you know, in the church today, in the modern church today, if somebody is just desperate and, well, they must have not a plan right. Um, that, you know, if they just had some foresight, then they would. No, maybe God called them there. And maybe that was the only plan they had. <laughs> All they knew was God told me to do this. Oh, now you're crying out. Well, you should have thought about that. Now, those poor people, they should have had some foresight, you know. I mean, they should... Dear friends, are you, de- are you desperate for the Holy Spirit? That's what Jesus says we should be like. And secondly, the Holy Spirit facilitates real relationship with God. Now, why do we need the Holy Spirit? Because we need real relationship with God. Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy have a new movie out called The Heat. Anybody seen that movie? I'm not necessarily endorsing it. Um, I'm not necessarily not endorsing it. Uh, I'm just going to use an illustration from it. Uh, Sandra Bullock plays this high-control, you know, OCD FBI field agent. I mean, she looks perfect. I mean, her hair's always perfect. She's always neat. Everything's controlled. I mean, everything's like this. And then Melissa McCarthy, if you don't know who that is, that, that's okay. But anyway, she was kind of the funny one in Bridesmaids. And uh, another movie I'm not endorsing, but I'm also not not, not endorsing. Um, yeah, we're not, I'm sorry. I should be quoting Les Mis or some, you know. But anyway, Melissa McCarthy in the movie just plays herself. Uh, she's got one character and she plays it well. Well, there's this moment where uh, Bullock and McCarthy are, are had way too much to drink. They're sitting at a bar, and uh, Sandra Bullock just starts spilling her guts. And what she says is, she reveals that she was a foster child. And, you know, Melissa McCarthy is just kind of this tender moment, you know, Melissa, Melissa McCarthy, oh, really, you know, and... Anyway, and Sandra Bullock said, yeah, yeah, but I I don't think it's really affected me much. Now, the whole movie, I mean, Sandra Bullock is like high control, you know, she just, every, the fact that she didn't have a loving relationship with parents is, is the very reason why she does everything she does in her entire life, you know. And it's, it's a hilarious moment. The woman obviously has daddy issues and abandonment issues. I was thinking about that this week as I was reading about all that's going on in California with Proposition 8 and the, the uh, judge who, who ruled that Proposition 8 was unconstitutional and now California is issuing um, um, marriage licenses to same-sex couples and, uh, you know, that's just kind of right before us. And uh, I was just thinking through that whole issue, you know, and, and really how the church tries to explain homosexuality. And, um, you know, I read a a psychology um, kind of test 
um, or a test that test results that psychologists did that showed that 90-something percent of uh, lesbian, you know, uh, women um, have daddy issues. And I thought, oh, well, there you have it. You know, that's it. Uh, but do you understand that you could? test anybody in this room and everybody in this room has huge daddy issues do you understand that we are all deeply insecure you say oh boy what's Richard saying homosexuality not a sin no I'm going beyond that I'm saying yes homosexuality is a sin but so is everything you do in your life you know the Bible says the Bible does say that homosexuality is a sin do you know what else it says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, no, not one. The reality for us in the church is that we were made for a heavenly Father. We were made for the love and the acceptance of a Father. And guess what? The best Father in this life can't give you that. They can only represent that. And so none of us have had, through our earthly fathers, a perfect love. And yet that's what we were made for. We will not function correctly as we were designed to be made uh, to function outside of the perfect love of a father. So if we're not going to get it from our dads, then who are we created to have it from? The heavenly father. The only way that we're going to be healthy in life is if we are depending wholeheartedly upon the Father. You see that in Jesus' life. He is constantly retreating away to be with the Father. And friends, that is why the apostles said, Lord, teach us to pray. That's where it comes from. Look back at, at verse 1. One day Jesus was praying, and I would say again, in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. What did they see in Jesus' life? They saw this man, the Son of God, who faced impossible odds, who faced rejection from other people, who had an impossible mission to save the world, and yet he was never stressed out. He always had time for other people. He was constantly at peace and he was full of truth and grace. He could tell somebody about their sin and love them in the same moment. He could take a woman who was caught in adultery and drug out into the street to be stoned and he could love her publicly. He could make a stand for that woman. Why? Because he didn't need the approval of men because he had the approval of his Father. Do you remember the prayer during Jesus's, or excuse me, the declaration during Jesus's baptism? John the Baptist takes Jesus and baptizes him. Baptizes him, and what happens? The heavens open. Uh, uh, the Holy Spirit, in the form of a dove, descends upon Jesus, and then this voice of the Father says, "What? This is my Son, and with Him I am well pleased. This is my Son I love, and with Him I am well pleased." Do you want to know how Jesus lived in this life and, and, and ministered for those few years and did it perfectly? It's because He was sold out to the reality of the love of His Father for Him. There was never a moment when He was doubting, maybe on the cross, a little bit. Oh my God, what, you know, take this cup from me. But how did He end it? Not my will, but Your will be done. Do you want to know how Jesus lived a perfect life? He lived knowing 
the love of His Father. And yet Jesus came to give this to us. I'm going somewhere with this, so keep with me. Listen to Jesus in John 10.10. I have come that they, His children, might have life and have it to the full. How are we going to know life? We're going to live knowing that the God of heaven and earth looks down on us and says, that is my son, that is my daughter, and with them I am well pleased. I love them. My approval is upon them. They're the only things at the forefront of my mind. I love my church. I love my children. I can't wait until my son is presented to them as their husband and they're married and we get to live together forever and eternity. That's Jesus' prayer in, in John 17. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you've sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you uh, known in order that the love you have for me may be in them. Wow. The love you have for me. How much does the Father love the Son? He wants us to live with that same confidence that the love you have for me might be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus desperately wants us to know that the, the Father wants to, for us to live knowing His love constantly. And guess who is the one who applies that to our lives? His name is the Holy Spirit. Listen to Romans chapter 8. The Spirit you received, children of God, does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Is anybody fearful this morning? That ain't the Spirit of God. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Do you understand the primary work of the Spirit? It's not to part the waters and to deliver you so that you might pay your bills and keep your house or get a house. The primary work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer is to speak against the voice of your flesh. When you think, yeah, I know God can love other people, but there's no way He can love me. Yeah, I know God can use other people, but there's no way He can use me. Yeah, I know God showed up with all these characters in the Bible, and, but, but you don't know my sin. You know what the Spirit of God has been given to you for? That you might say, no, by the Spirit of God, I believe that God loves me no more and no less than His own Son. That all of my sin is washed away. That all of Jesus' righteousness has been credited to my account, imputed to to me, I am covered in the robe of His righteousness, and the Father loves me no more and no less than Jesus Christ, His Son. So who can stand against me? How can I be fearful today? How can I not humble myself and live uh, before those around me? How can I not love? Because that's what God has done for me, and by His Spirit I can do it. Because God has not given me a spirit of timidity, but one of power and love and self-discipline. And the Holy Spirit is in you to convince you of that, to speak against all your fear and all your anxiety and all of your, your thoughts of aloneness, that I'm abandoned, that nobody cares about me. The God of heaven and earth cares about you. And that's the work of the Spirit. 
Do you understand that the Christian life is simply this, a living relationship with God? You say, how can I, how can I live in a relationship with a God that I can't see? The Holy Spirit. You say, I just don't understand that. I, I, every couple that I've married... I ask this one question in our first premarital counseling session. I say, tell me why you want to marry this person. And every single one of them fumble. I mean, it's the most obvious. It's why do you want to marry this? Well, uh, well I mean, you know, I mean, they're... Yeah. It's intangible, isn't it? I mean, I love it. I mean, I'm in love with this person. Okay, I mean, I can find somebody that's better looking, makes more money. Can do, right, anything you throw, there's something intangible. The spirit of this relationship, there's some, there, it's not something material, it's something immaterial. That's relationship with God. And the Holy Spirit is literally in us as He was in the temple, uh, of, of, as He was in the temple in the Old Testament. God dwells within His people and He makes the, the promises of God real to us. When I'm struggling with guilt and thinking, how in the world can I be the one that stands up and preaches this week? The Spirit of God is there to say, what, why do you think you could do it last week? Or, I guess, last month. You know why? Because of Jesus. Oh, that's right, that's right. It's the Gospel, isn't it? It's the Gospel. Well, man, I'm so terrified for my grandchildren or my children, the decisions that I make. What... What's going to happen here? I just The Holy Spirit is there to say, they've got a Father, and it ain't you. It's not you. And He loves them more than you. How do I know that? Because God's Word tells me that. And the Holy Spirit is there to convince me of that. I don't know, Richard, we had a low, you know, not many people showed up, or, you know, we got this offer on this building, what if we, what if we don't get it? We, I mean, how are we going to go to two services? I mean, I don't know if we can survive two services, everything. you got a Father. He is sovereign. He's got you. He's taking care of you. He sent His own Son to die for you. He's imputed His righteousness to you. He's dancing over you with joy, whether you feel like He is or not. That is what He's doing. That's the Holy Spirit. Dear friends, do you know that? Do you know that tension? That's what it means to have a living relationship with God. I mean, this is so practical. I was watching a documentary last night on food. And... It's one of these Netflix documentaries and, you know, they were talking about MSG and all this stuff and why we're all addicted to food and the food companies know scientifically, they know what we're addicted to and they just keep giving us a little bit more. And they compared it to a cocaine addiction. Now, I don't know about you, but I experience that about every night between 8 and 10. I mean, if there's not a chip in the house, somebody's going to die. <laughs> Uh, yesterday, I woke up, and I was going to have a Five Guys double cheeseburger with bacon on it. And I don't care what I'd eaten on the 4th. I did ribs and pork butt and all that, but I don't care. I, I, went, I ran six miles so I could have Five Guys double cheeseburger with, with, uh, with bacon. By the end of last night, I was like, I'm an addict. 
I've got issues. I ate a banana this morning. I mean, we're a mess, people. We're an absolute mess. I mean, I crave what kills me. I think I can't live unless I have what science tells me will kill me. And I do the same thing with anything else because I, at the core of who I am in my flesh, I'm an idolater. I will worship anything but Jesus given the chance. I need the Holy Spirit. And it's only when we understand that that we cry out to Him for that. And that's when He shows up. Are you desperate this morning? Cry out for the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because Jesus' whole point with this is that we are to believe that the Father is good and ask for the Holy Spirit. You know why you believe you won't ask for the Holy Spirit this morning? Because you don't believe the Father's good enough to give Him to you. What if I told you that everybody in here should go to a car dealership after church today and walk in there and demand to see the sales manager and say, my pastor said, you are to give me a new car. I mean, nobody's going to do that. I hope. Why? Because you know that's not going to happen. Because you know that no matter what the commercials say, no matter what the car dealerships say, they don't care about you having a new car. They care about the sale. At the end of the day, all they're looking at is how close are we to the goal? How close are we to sale projections? Am I going to keep my job? The problem is we think that's how God thinks. I mean, is it not ludicrous that Jesus has to tell this ridiculous story, this figurative story, this made-up thing about some guy that had somebody, he had some out-of-town company coming in, and oh, he didn't have bread, so he got to go wake up some dude, and, and he starts banging on his door, and he, he doesn't care about waking up the children. Isn't it ridiculous that Jesus has to tell this ridiculous story to convince you that the Father is good enough to give you the Holy Spirit? And is it not ridiculous that few of us will will actually believe it? I mean, what Jesus is saying is the Father is good enough. He wants to give you His Spirit. He wants to be active and alive in your life. He will walk with you. He will be in you. He is available to you. You are not alone. The very power of Christ can rest upon you. The love of God Himself can, can be known to you constantly. Can you imagine the kind of life that you would live if you woke up and you really believed that God loved you unconditionally, that He had you in His sights, so much so that He gave His own Son for you, to possess you as His child, that He might relate to you and love you? Isn't it ridiculous that Jesus had to tell this story to convince you that it's true? The only question is, are you going to believe it's true today? Would you cry out for the Holy Spirit? Dear friends, in the quietness of your heart, cry out for the Holy Spirit. Say, God, forgive me. I think my, I thought my biggest needs coming in here was A, B, C, and D, but that wasn't even close. 
Because if I have you, it doesn't matter what happens with A, B, C, and D because I have you. So dear friends, may we depend upon the Spirit. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You for the beauty of the promise of the Gospel. And I pray this morning that our greatest need would be evident to us all and that we would cry out to You in the depth of our souls to give us Your Spirit. Oh God, I need Your Spirit to be everything You've called me to be. But thank You that You've not abandoned me. Thank You that You hadn't just pressed the law on me and said good luck. But thank You that You hold the law up and Jesus, You fulfilled it and Holy Spirit, You inhabited me and inhabit me right now that I might believe that I can see some real improvement in my life because You exist in me. Oh, Spirit of Christ, would You do Your work in this congregation? Would You send us out knowing Your presence? And would we live in relationship with You this week that You might receive glory? We pray in Your name. Amen.